Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Welcome to Mo Forecast, a podcast series where experts from Morrison and Forrester make predictions about enforcement and policy trends in the Biden administration. Today, we'll be discussing the False Claims Act. I'm your host, James Kukios, co-head of MoFo Securities Litigation, Enforcement, and White Collar Practice Group. I'm pleased to be speaking today with Alex Ward and Brian Kidd. Alex is co-chair of the firm's Government Contracts and Public Procurement Practice. He regularly handles investigations involving False Claims Act issues, as well as a full range of other government contracts litigation and counseling matters. Brian just recently joined MoFo from the U.S. Department of Justice, where he served as chief of the Market Integrity and Major Frauds Unit of the Criminal Division's Fraud Section. He's a partner in MoFo's Investigations and White Collar Defense Practice Group. At DOJ, Brian supervised a team of roughly 40 federal prosecutors who investigated a wide variety of major fraud cases, including government procurement fraud. So Brian, starting with you, um, the False Claims Act is a very old statute, goes back to the Civil War, but it's become a very important part of the U.S. government's anti-fraud enforcement policy. What were the U.S. enforcement policies and trends regarding the False Claims Act during the Trump administration? Thanks, James. Um, well, under the Trump administration, there were a number of things that took place. I'm going to start with how Trump compared with Obama in the FCA recovery space. While the number of new FCA matters remain largely the same under the Trump administration, the amount of recoveries were down significantly over the past four years. If you look at the FCA fraud statistic report that is published annually by the Department of Justice, you see that the annual average recovery for fiscal year 2017 to fiscal year 2020 was roughly $2.9 billion. So it's a fairly high number. But if you look back on the Obama administration, the numbers were uh, quite a bit higher. So if you look from uh, fiscal year 2009 to fiscal year 2016, the average FCA recovery was $3.9 billion, so a full billion dollars more on average. Uh, so there was a significant drop-off over the past four years. And uh, as Alex will cover later, we don't expect this trend to continue. But you know, pivoting over to what you asked, James, while the recoveries were down, it doesn't mean there weren't enforcement efforts that were made uh, during the past four years. Uh, the primary focus uh, for the department under the Trump administration in the FCA space um, has been on the healthcare industry. Uh, the data shows that of the roughly 11.4 billion recovered under the FCA during Trump's four years in office, approximately 80% of that, or $9 billion, was recovered from the healthcare industry. And in this area, uh, the department really focused on four or areas of fraud. The first was the opioid epidemic. Uh, the department really looked at individuals and companies that it perceived as having contributed to the, to the epidemic through illegal practices uh, or those uh, individuals or companies that appeared to take advantage of the opioid epidemic. The department also looked at prescription drug prices, um, looking at individuals and companies that contributed to what they perceived as fraudulent increases in those drug prices. They also looked at Medicare Part C, so fraud and abuse in that program. Uh, Medicare Part C is Medicare's managed care program. And finally, there was a, a strong focus on elder fraud, uh, the government looking at uh, individuals and companies that took advantage of the elderly, including the skilled nursing facilities, rehabilitation centers, and really focusing on um, 
the industry that, that deals with elder care. So that was the primary focus is that in the healthcare industry. Now, uh, there was also the government does did do some some work in the government contracting and procurement area, but it was quite a bit less. During the, the same four year span, recoveries in the government contracting and procurement fraud space uh, were down. Uh, as I mentioned, healthcare fraud recoveries were roughly $9 billion during that four-year time period. If you look at government contracting and procurement fraud recoveries, that totaled uh, roughly $658 million. So there's a real disparity in the numbers there. Now, that's not to say that uh, the department didn't look at those cases or didn't actively enforce FCA actions or criminal actions when there was blatant uh, government contracting or procurement fraud. For example, I'm just going to highlight two recent cases. There's a recent criminal and civil resolution with a South Korean engineering firm that had defrauded the government. In that case, uh, the firm had obtained a large U.S. Army construction contract in around 2008. It was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And during the execution of that contract, the company paid millions of dollars to a fake Korean construction company, which subsequently paid that money to a contracting official at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. In order to cover those payments, uh, because you have to cover your tracks, which totaled approximately $2.6 million, the company submitted false documents and invoices to the U.S. Army. Now, as a result of this contract, uh, the company pled guilty to wire fraud and was sentenced to pay $60 million in criminal fines, pay uh, $2.6 million in restitution to the U.S. Army, and serve three years of probation, uh, during which time the company agreed not to pursue any U.S. federal government contracts. Now, in addition to the criminal fines and penalty, the company also entered into a False Claims Act settlement with the, with the government, under which it was obligated to pay $5.2 million in civil penalties to the United States, um, which, which the department ultimately credited against uh, the company's criminal fine. And another, I think, important case that's, that's taken place recently, there was a, a series of government contractors between 2009 and 2019 that overcharged the Department of Energy for uh, unreasonable and unallowable idle time that was experienced by personnel that were working on the contract. Uh, the contractors uh, further failed to schedule and carry out adequate work to keep personnel occupied and productive, which again resulted in excess idle time. Further, uh, and this is important, management of the company knew that the personnel were experiencing this downtime um, due to their failure to assign uh, enough work or sufficient work for them to be able to do their job. And finally, the contractors uh, improperly billed Department of Energy labor cost for the unreasonable time and continue to do so for many years, including after they knew they were under investigation. Now, to resolve these claims, the contractors agreed to pay over $57 million to the Department of Justice and agreed to a three-year corporate monitor, which is a significant penalty. Now, these are just two of the, the many cases that were brought in the last four years, but those were you know, the priorities of the department under the Trump administration. Thanks, Brian. So it sounds like there was a fair amount of enforcement under Trump, but as you said, compared to the Obama administration, it was down significantly. Uh, Alex, Brian previewed that you believe that that's going to reverse under Biden. So why don't we turn to you now and ask, what are your predictions about FCA enforcement priorities and trends under the new administration? Thanks, James. Uh, well, we anticipate that DOJ will continue to emphasize uh, healthcare fraud, but in addition to healthcare, we think there'll also be a significant uptick in enforcement in the government contracting and procurement sector as well. Uh, this includes enforcement actions for CARES Act and Paycheck Protection Program fraud. Most of these cases so far have focused on individual bad actors, 
But we anticipate those investigations will expand to include corporate actors and financial institutions. As of January, DOJ had indicted more than 100 individuals in over 70 cases and had seized more than $60 million in cash, as well as real estate and luxury items purchased with PPP funds. Uh, In addition to criminal enforcement, in January, DOJ announced its first civil FCA settlement involving a PPP borrower, Slidebelts, Inc., which is an online retailer that lied about its financial situation to get PPP loans. As part of its settlement with DOJ, Slidebelts repaid $350,000 in funds it received and also paid $100,000 in damages and penalties. Also, going forward, I suspect the Defense Contract Audit Agency will be examining the ready state payments to contractors under Section 3610 of the CARES Act, which could also lead to IG investigations and possibly FCA proceedings. In addition to that, we also think the Biden administration will focus heavily on cybersecurity. Deputy Assistant AG Michael Granston and Acting Assistant AG Brian Boynton have both emphasized this enforcement priority in recent public remarks they've made. As Assistant AG Boynton put it, when the government pays for systems or services that purport to comply with required cybersecurity standards but fail to do so, it's not difficult to imagine a situation where the False Claims Act liability may arise. Uh, And there have been examples of this already. Uh, In Marcus versus Aerojet Rocketdyne, for example, a California district court refused to dismiss a KETAM action brought by the company's former director of cybersecurity, who alleged that the company had fraudulently induced the government to award it a contract based on the company's false representations that it had complied with cybersecurity requirements. Another area is uh, restrictions on Chinese telecom components. Those were already a major focus under Section 889 of the 2019 Defense Authorization Act. With the Biden administration's enhanced Buy American requirements, foreign content looks to be a major area for enforcement in the new administration and a potentially fertile field for KETAM relators. Also, Defense Contract Management Agency recently created a defective pricing pilot program to pursue contract pricing issues raised during Truth and Negotiation Act audits. We have a blog about this on our website for those who are interested in more detail. And uh, President Biden has also pledged to strengthen the inspector general laws. Uh, The primary goal there is to give the IGs full subpoena power uh, and to allow the agency IGs the ability to conduct complete and thorough investigations which uh, could lead to an increase in FCA investigations and cases. And finally, while this isn't exactly an enforcement trend, another FCA issue to keep an eye on are the Granston memo dismissals. As a refresher, the Granston memo provides guidance for evaluating whether DOJ should seek dismissal of a KETAM action under 31 U.S.C. 3730 C2A. While the guidance has resulted in a fairly small number of dismissals, it still represents a huge increase from the prior 30 years. It'll be interesting to see how the Biden administration handles this guidance going forward. And it's also worth noting that Senator Grassley said just this week that he's drafting legislation to curb this practice. Thanks, Alex. So a lot of things to think about in the False Claims Act space. We've got, I think, to recap, of course, healthcare, CARES Act, cybersecurity, and then a number of issues related to government contracts like foreign content, defective pricing. So really good things to think about. 
Brian, given that background that Alex just provided, what should companies do to prepare for FCA enforcement under the Biden administration? James, I think given the the likely uptick in enforcement, uh, we would suggest that the various companies and government contractors uh, take a number of proactive steps to review their compliance programs. First, we'd recommend that that, uh, companies conduct a thorough review of the compliance programs to make sure that they're current, they're top of the class, and that they're actually serving their purpose. Uh, Unfortunately, especially now, given the challenges presented presented during the pandemic, uh, too many companies are are waiting too long between comprehensive risk assessments of their compliance programs. And as we know, uh, what worked for a compliance program pre-pandemic may not be working now. So companies need to make sure uh, that the key compliance policies are working up to date and reflect the realities of the business as it is today in the uh, pandemic uh, age. Um, second, we would recommend that companies evaluate their compliance programs against DOJ's July 2020 guidance update. Like its predecessor, the revised guidance is really focused around three questions. And the questions are, is the corporation's compliance program well-designed? Is the program being applied earnestly in good faith? In other words, is the program adequately resourced and empowered to function effectively? And does the corporation's compliance program work in practice? I think companies really need to study these questions and the guidance that's provided along with them and determine if their compliance program is meeting those expectations. Uh, Other important takeaways from the updated guidance is that an effective compliance program should be data-driven, built to evolve over time, based not only on lessons learned, from the company itself, but also from other companies that have that face similar risks and similar potential problems. So to you know, learn from yourself, but look outside and learn from others as well. And also a compliance program should have should be user friendly and uh, you know, have compliance and training resources readily available. And just by way of example, for a government contractor, you know, a government contractor may want to track different types of compliance concerns raised with government inquiries paying attention to the employee hotline calls. What are they hearing? Uh, What can be done about it? And other resources, including what's happening with their competitors in the same field. And then focus focus the training and compliance audits in those areas to make sure that they're addressing those concerns. And and third, companies uh, really need to document and keep track of uh, their compliance programs and the changes that they're making over time so that if they ever end up in a situation where they are sitting across the table from the department, whether it be an FCA matter or a criminal matter, that they're able to articulate what happened over time, why they made the decisions they made, and why they believe their compliance program um, is complying with what the government expects. In addition to compliance, looping back to what Alex was talking about, just making sure that your cybersecurity is up to date and is in compliance with the requirements of what the government is expecting. And so when you're contracting with the government and you're making certifications with respect to your, your cybersecurity program, that uh, it's also up to date and robust and meets those requirements. Thanks, Brian. And thanks, Alex. This is the end of our Mo Forecast episode on False Claims Act enforcement priorities and trends in the Biden administration. Once again, I'm your host, James Kukios, speaking with Alex Ward and Brian Kidd. If you liked today's episode, and we hope you did, Please visit the MOFO website and join us for additional installments of the MO Forecast series, covering predictions for enforcement and policy trends in other areas of the law. Thanks for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe to the MOFO Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. 
Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcast.